0: Kia ora, Tenakoto. It's great to be back here at Smash Palace. Tonight um, we're very, very lucky to have here on the couch here at Smash Palace Dr. Avril Bell, as well as uh, Annie Maguire. Dr. Avril Bell is a Pākehā sociologist and she grew up in Kaitaia. Uh, she wrote a PhD on Pākehā identity and her current research uh, interests include the legacy of colonisation uh, in Indigenous settler identity politics and relations, uh, the role of Tangata Tiriti as allies to Māori, and in decolonial work and critical settler family history. and She's diving into her own family history as part of that research. We might hear a little bit more later on about that. She'll talk, hopefully, about political tensions, understandings, cross-cultural relationships between Pākehā and Māori in Aotearoa. And next to her is Annie Maguire. She's also a sociologist and a tour guide with a vast knowledge of history, both Māori and European a deep understanding and passion for Māori culture. Born in Tol- and raised in Tolaga Bay, she's currently Te Aitanga Hoiti Hoora board member and Hoiti Marae trustee. And she owns and operates Tipuna Tours, As um, involved with the NZQA, EIT, Ngāti Paro Hauraua, uh, Māori qualification service, and she's a member of Te Ha Trust as well, which has been so instrumental in putting uh, this whole um, thing together. So um, please make both our guests very, very welcome. What we're trying to focus on this evening uh, with this panel is, is looking at pakia identity and what being pakia means. And I thought I would start with Avril by asking you, how did you grow up in, in terms of your understanding of the word pakia Did you, did you um, think of it in, 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 as, as, as being a Pakia, or did you adopt it later on? Uh, were you taught that you were a pakia how, how did you um, treat the notion of pakia in your upbringing?
1: It's quite a long time ago that I was growing up, 1950s, 60s, when I was a child growing up in Kaitaia. And at that point, I guess I knew the word Pākehā. I probably heard the word Pākehā at school and the playground or whatever, but we never thought of ourselves as Pākehā. I was not, certainly not taught to think of myself as Pākehā. It's like we were just New Zealanders, you know. We were Māori were obviously different, but um, we didn't have any special name for us. And it really wasn't... And that didn't feel like, in, you know, that was just normal, right? Um, it really wasn't until the 1980s, the sort of era of biculturalism, the Waitangi Tribunal was in operation, working, you know, there was lots of things happening in terms of kohanga reo, kura kaupapa, lots of things developing in the, in the Māori world, and a real challenge, I think, to those of us who on the Pākehā side to start reflecting on ourselves and and who we were and so on. That um, I guess I really started to think about this term and and start to identify with it. So, um, and i thought about it a lot since then. It's been a bit of a lifelong journey and it's not over. Um, I definitely strongly identify as Pākehā. I think uh, we are lucky to have that term and that there is nowhere else in the world to be Pākehā, but here, right, Pākehā are the people of European ancestry who uh, live here and are committed to this place. Uh, in my my kind of version of it. And um, I think of that word as a taonga, actually, now that it's a a gift from Māori. that's something that we, I think, need to still kind of work at living up to. I don't think we have fully stepped up to that relationship that I think that word is offering us. I really love Andrew Judd's Recovering Racist term. I think that's very, very cool. And I think it's interesting to think about us Pākehā as recovering colonisers.
0: Before I I, I go to Annie, I was just going to ask, do you think the term Pākehā gives the European people in New Zealand at least something of an identity that otherwise maybe we wouldn't even have, compared to Māori who are so linked to their identity in this country? Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, I think it could. I think it's got that potential but I don't think that we're there yet you know there's a lot of people who don't like the word um, who reject it you know for a bunch of different reasons but we sort of use it as a category for all kind of white slash European New Zealanders but the people who actually identify with it as a smaller group you know so I think that is work in progress Um, but it has got and I think you know over time I mean it's we're, now we're talking. This is two 250, right? So 250 years since James Cook came here. Nearly 200 years since there was a Pakeha settlement here. Um, over time, we are developing a distinct culture, you know, that um, is can become identified as Pakeha culture and, and the identity that goes with that.
0: Annie, how do you feel about the term Pakeha? Because you, 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 a Papa, to. T- t- Māori as well as to to Britain Um, How did you feel about that? Oh I love
2: the word I think it's a unique identifier Um, For me um, white New Zealanders are not Europeans Mm. Europeans come from Europe and so Pākehā specifically identifies the white people of this country Okay, so it's a word that I really like. It's been misinterpreted in the past, and I've always had my own interpretation of this. Well, I've divided it into pa, care, and ha. Three words: pa, place or village; care, foreign; and ha, breath, meaning the breath of a human being. And so put them all together, a, a, a person from another place, a different place, a foreign place.
0: In your whānau, how has that played out over the years in terms of what, what a area is or how, how Pākehā you are?
2: Oh, okay. I remember in the um, 60s when I started training college, uh, we were fractionalized. We had to give how much of a Māori we were or how much of a Pākehā we were. And it was really quite strange when we worked it out on eight great-grandparents. And it turned out that out of my eight great-grandparents, three of them were full Māori. So I was only three-eighths Māori, so where was the other five-eighths? And so um, when I look at my own family and see um, a brother with brilliant blue eyes, another brother with green eyes, blonde hair, and freckles, and white ass, is he a park yet? I remember him coming home crying one day and asking my mother if the milkman was his father. How cool can people be? And yet, I'm, I can't go saying I'm Parkia because of the colour of my skin. If I did that, I'd cause an uproar. But if I go back to those fractions of three-eighths Māori and five-eighths something else, then I can, I can call myself a Parkia. But I don't. Because my worldview is a Māori worldview. I was brought up in the Māori culture, okay? But having said that, I must also say that I was brought up knowing that I had uh, an Irish great-grandmother, a Welsh great-grandmother, a Scottish great-grandmother, a Scottish great-grandfather, as well as my Māori great-grandmother and grandfather.
0: So you knew that early on?
2: Oh, very early on.
0: Well, would you like to discover and research and, and look at those European roots of your whakapapa oh, as much as your Māori side?
2: Absolutely. I want to know what my Scottish uh, tartans are. I want to know what the uh, crests are, because they're all there, whether it's the Scottish or the English or whatever. Um, and I think it was kind of really brought home to me last Sunday i uh, give you an example We were sitting in Auntie's cafe At the Tolaga Bay Inn Having breakfast and it was packed uh, And there were parkers Sitting there, there was locals Māori um, Visitors and so on And uh, one of my nephews Walked in And I was going to say happy birthday to him but before I could do that, he stood at the door, looked around at everybody and then started singing God Save Our Gracious Queen."
0: This is straight after the uh, World Cup semi-final had been played the night before.
2: And I said to him, "Today you better shut up. <laughs> and he goes, but auntie, I'm English on my leech side. <laughs> and I said, what about your walker side, that's Scottish. And he goes, auntie, you're, you're a glover, you're English. And I said, no, I'm a Maguire now, I'm the Scottish. He said, you were a glover first. <laughs> so that kind of brought home to me that, yeah, there's all these sides to us. And what I thought about was year 250 and that dual heritage shared future. To me, that that's personal it's right here with me and my family. Mm.
0: Avril do you do you think that Pākehā in New Zealand need to go through that exercise so that we can understand how important whakapapa is for Māori?
1: I'm interested too to know you know something about where my ancestors came from another thing I think growing up I don't even remember being told oh this side was Scottish or this side was English or anything it was just we got told, I got told the ones who came to New Zealand first and I've got these handwritten family trees that I, I um, wrote as a kid because I was really interested and I think I was maybe interested because all my grandparents were dead before I was born so I didn't know any of those people and I, I don't know I've always like, been interested in history anyway but for us as a people I think the most interesting part of our histories our family histories is the histories of our families here so what did our families do here? Where did they live here? What was their role in the colonisation process? What were their relationships with Māori like? Um, You know, what land did they have? How did they get that land? I mean, I think there's a lot of um, things that would help us think about who we are as a people and what our relationships with Māori have been and what might need to change in the future. Like, I mean, for me, can I just... I'll give one example in terms of my own family... Um, my uncle put together a Bell family tree, and um, but there was this little statement in there about our my great grandparents. They'd originally come to Canterbury. They had a farm there. There was a depression in the 1870s, 80s. They had to walk off that land. They ultimately went to Taranaki, where they got Māori leasehold land, no capital required. It says in the in this thing and you know I remember when I first got this document and I never really thought anything much of it but then as I got older and I learnt more about our history and I read that again and I thought oh my god you know that's where is that place and what is how close is that to Parihaka and what is the story you know so obviously this this was actually land that was confiscated in that whole terrible history of Taranaki and that confiscation but they were able to raise their children directly on the dispossession of Taranaki iwi you know um, so, just those sorts of things um, are, I think, a, something that we should think about.
0: But we don't learn that, do we? Should that be a mainstay of our school curricula?
1: Yes, absolutely. Hallelujah! We're going to start, you know, doing some teaching of our history. But we have been talking too about mm, what history they need to do a good job of teaching the history. The Waitangi Tribunal reports are a fabulous treasure trove, and so every area of the country, I would imagine now, has got some what, tribunal reports that are probably held in the public library, and they're certainly downloadable online. There's there's lots of history there that we can you know that we can engage with uh, to learn more about the places that we are living in, and also any places where our families have lived in the country previously, you know, and sort of as long as we've got some basic information about our own family, we should be able to start piecing together the times and the, what was going on for Māori at the same times, you know, in the same places. And I think there's a lot to be gained in terms of deepening our own connection to the place that we live in, you know, that it's not just a nice landscape or something or the place we went to the beach, you know, but that it has got a deep history and, that, and we have our own histories kind of woven into it.
0: I'm Alex Perutay for RNZ with an edition of Awkward Conversations about Race and Identity. Today, I'm discussing what it means to be Pākehā with Associate Professor Avril Bell and Anne Maguire. We're in front of an audience gathered in the distinctive location of the Smash Palace Bar and Music Venue in Gisborne, and we're speaking as the Tūia 250 Kituranga commemoration of the first contact between Maori and Pākehā draws to a close.
2: We can't change what happened yesterday. Okay, we can't change that history. We do need to know about it, though. We need to know the foundation on which this country is built. And we need to know um, what can we do about tomorrow? What can we do to make it better for both Māori and Pakia? And one of the things that um, I've been thinking about ever since the whole claims process started... Um, is this is going to upset Pākehā because Pākehā today didn't cause what happened yesterday. Neither mighty today caused that either. But I've, I've, I sort of have this resentment against the whole claims process in that as a taxpayer of this country and everybody else who pays taxes, it's... New Zealanders today here, taxpayers, who are paying for that claims process. Not the Crown at all. My view was that Queen Elizabeth should be paying for this. Not me. Not you. Or anyone else.
0: Is that going to happen?
2: Of course it's not. But that's why I'm so resentful. Because I don't think I should be paying for something that I had nothing to do with. And if I'm going to blame my ancestors for what they did in terms of colonisation and so on, um, then I've got to look at myself and what they did. Those are my ancestors too, both Māori and European and Pakia.
0: But that's history, isn't it? You, we, we inherit everything, <laughs> the good and the bad, the yeah. legacies. Um, Absolutely. Sh- sh- should, should we own it as much as, say, Queen Elizabeth should own the mistakes no, of a she previous should own crown? It. it.
2: was Victoria who signed the treaty. So those are the ones who should pay. I mean, they've got the money. Good oh, luck. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's just a thought that I've had, and I suppose it'll, it'll continue to foster or fester away there until I come to accept, or as my mokopuna said to me, get over yourself.
0: (laughs) Are you concerned that um, Pākehā need to dive more deeply into te ao Māori?
2: Well, I think they need to dive into the history of this country. I spent 15 years of my life teaching Treaty of Waitangi at the local polytechnic. Um, I didn't like doing that either because, uh, for me, the students were at that Polytech to learn job-specific skills, not the history of this country, because that's what the treaty is. It's what started off this dual heritage. I fully
1: get what Annie's saying, and it's like, you know, I I teach at the university, and sometimes when I start talking about the treaty with Stage 1 students, I see them going... (sighs) treaty we've done that you know at school and you know but what have they done they've done some sort of you know they haven't done much and they've probably learned some kind of formulaic story about it or something I don't know let's face it there's a lot we could spend a long time educating ourselves about the complexity of these things but um so the same risk I guess with the history oh I've done New Zealand history and I don't know how you get the the balance so you don't want to wait too long but it also does need to be done carefully and thoughtfully. And one of the things, I guess, is um, it's just as money, right? So, not just saying, "Oh, we're going to do it." We're going to say we're going to change the requirement for our teachers to um, to include this in their curriculum, but you actually have to put money into training them and giving them the time to upskill and to you know work out how best to do
2: it, right? So, I, I don't know. I hope if money's going with it, but I hope so. I think one of the things too, we have to be. Careful of is ticking boxes. Yes. Uh, um, for Since 2005, right up to 2019, I've been um, teaching um, local um, DHB staff um, two cultural workshops I do with them. Te a Best Practice is one of them, so that um, we're looking at um, how we treat Māori patients because they're the highest um, number that use the DHB. Um, and the other one is the kit which when translated, we translate into our bicultural baskets. And um, one of the things that I'm really fearful of is that I used to get four hours for each tikanga workshop and I used to get eight hours for the bicultural workshop Uh, but I was told I had to save money and so over the years it's gradually dwindled down and now we get four hours to teach both workshops so I resigned because I don't want to be just ticking boxes I don't want to be just doing the bare minimum because there are staff and especially overseas staff who need to know those cultural aspects.
0: Do you see great? Did you have hope for the current generation? I mean, you, you've you've been teaching um, and uh, and even supervising PhD students. What what do you see in their interests about what they want to study, particularly Pakeha? Um, uh, uh, you know, do you see a greater appetite to to dive into Te Māori?
1: Well, absolutely. Like where I am working now um, in Auckland, I think partly it's a very multicultural student body, um, and sociology. We're in a sociology criminology program. We seem to attract the the kind of left wing, kind of activist type students, anyway, um, and very sympathetic to uh, things Māori. And um particularly around the area of uh criminology, you know, and incarceration rates and all that sort of stuff. They can see the injustice. You know, young people are pretty if you give them the data about injustices, um, they get that, you know, pretty fast.
0: It's just, it's, it's an observation yeah, yeah. I've made that, that that there's a greater openness to to learning about Tao Maori, to embracing it. Um and um and, and and perhaps where perhaps I don't know it's more of an optimistic point of departure that we'll we'll get to a place where, where yeah. there'll be there'll be um, there'll, th- those prejudices will wash away such as the ones we hear on the on Talk Back with Marcus Lush. <laughs> yeah, but one times. of the yeah.
2: things I've noticed, Alex, is that um, Parkia will listen to Parkia and take note of what Parkia said. and a good example is the. Um, redemption songs written by Judith Binney about T'Courti. Now, up until then Tacourti was vilified as a murderer. I was brought up in that ch- Ring church. Um but because of the um that aspect of um Te being this rebel, bad man, murderer, whatever, um, my great grandfather took us to the Anglican church. Okay. And so, right up all the way through, we as a family didn't talk about our family being ringer Two or following to Courty, or that was kept secret, very quiet. And then suddenly out came Judith's book that um, explained what. To court he was all about and that he wasn't the murderer and the um, rebel that everybody thought he was um, and so Parker started to take note because they read her book Martin Sneddon's brother Pat did a, a, a talk on Parker and the Treaty of Waitangi and everybody listened to him you know um, we get um, she was the Chief Justice Sean Elias. You get Sean doing um, treaty claims and saying, and suddenly everybody listens to Sean. So, what's the difference between Sean saying something and me saying exactly the same thing? It's because I'm not a Pākea. I think I probably have a slightly different take on, on some of that. I mean, I think there's probably
1: more Pākea historians, right? Yeah. In general. Um, there are some Māori historians like Araha Harris, who's fabulous. And I think there's also this, you know, and this certainly goes like back to the 1980s, there was a sort of challenge to Pākehā, like go and sort yourselves out, you know, and work. You need to work with your own people, you know, mm. and figure out, um, educate yourselves. You can't kind of expect us to do it for you. Mm. You know, so I think I think that's important for Pākehā too. Not
2: I mean, it's not that these historians are necessarily writing only for Pākehā, right? Mm. And we go back to Tuia 250 and what happened here in Tūranga. Um, and then we see um, Nick's artworks of Tamaru and and um, down on the landing site being renamed um, Puhikaiti Cork Landing Site. Um, it's bringing the two together again. So it's starting to happen. And so... We're not just hearing um, the parkia version of, of our histories. That's changing as well. Māori are starting to get involved in parkia systems. Um, and I was talking with Avril earlier and saying um, when we went out to Judge Henry Taumanu swearing in as chief judge of the district court, the number of Māori judges that were sitting on that maho, the number of Māori lawyers that were sitting down in the um, audience, I was astounded. So, I'm saying, right, we've got Māori judges here, we've got Māori lawyers here, we've got here judges who um, are thinking more and more of what Judge Hemi's trying to do. Um, so, those uh, negative statistics that we were getting about Māori um, should start to change, but it's going to take time. No. But they are there, but we need more than more Māori lawyers. We also need the Māori doctors and everything else that, yeah, yeah. that goes with it. Yep. Mm. More Māori. Yeah. It's, it's starting to happen, but it will take time.
0: Are you happy mm. with the way... Tuia 250 has been commemorated this time round. I mean, when you compare it to 50 years ago, I mean, how do you how do you describe how it's been this time round? Well, I
2: recall saying to somebody, I don't know who it was, and I was saying, well, we were determined that um, that the 250th anniversary of Cook's arrival was not going to be Cook-centric or Euro-centric, that we had to get some eerie stories in there. And after I um, finished here, I remember saying to somebody, gosh, that was iwi-centric. And there was hardly any cook in it at all, compared to 69, which was total. So I think we still did manage to achieve um, what Taha set out to achieve, what Tuya 250 set out to achieve, Um and some of the things that weren't supposed to happen happened, and I'm thinking of the welcome to the tall ships, um, and the Walker came in with the tall ships, and so there was a poor there was a mighty poor for um, for the tall ships, which wasn't supposed to happen, and that's what Iwi wanted. Um, but yeah, I think it suited everybody.
0: But there was space for protest, uh, and healthy space and resources given, and I think that was reflected in, in the way that uh, the rest of the country saw it through through the reporting of the day and that kind of thing. So, um, so uh, is that a positive? Is Absolutely. That,
2: yes. You see, you also had at uh, Uawa Tala Gabe. Uh, That was always... Hauriti was always going to have a um, dual welcome and that the waka and the tall ships would come in together. And that did happen. Um, And um, despite the rain the previous day, um, it still turned out. And so um, you had the interpretation for the... um, Pakia crew Um, everybody enjoyed it everybody, I mean we had not only Māori and Pakia, but the um, French Polynesian people were there as well um, and enjoying it and understanding uh, what was happening so um, that was sort of that um, multicultural thing but we still had to come back to the dual heritage, because that's what this country's built on.
0: You're listening to RNZ and an edition of Awkward Conversations About Race and Identity. Today I'm discussing what it means to be Pakeha with Associate Professor Avril Bell and Anne Maguire. We're in front of an audience gathered in the distinctive location of the Smash Palace Bar and Music Venue in Gisborne and we're speaking as the Tuia 250 Kituranga commemoration of the first contact between Māori and Pākehā draws to a close. I'm Alex Perite in the chair. What's the next commemoration look like to you?
2: I hope that we build on what we did in 2019, that it builds uh, where we can all share and understand and be together um, that it's Pākehā and Māori um, together instead of all of this um, angst against one another and what you're doing and what you're doing and what it's about what we should be doing together. That's how I see it happening if we can extend and build on what happened uh, this
0: October. Avril do you have do you have an idea
2: well
1: I'm just thinking but the next big one will be uh, 200 years since the signing of the treaty right 2040 whoo um, so that's a massive one more important than cook and I was just thinking back to 1990 and the whole sesquicentenary which is one of the things that started me interested in thinking about Māori Pākehā relations really and that I don't know, people probably remember the... Ad, I don't remember much apart from the ads on TV um, all about, you know, this country, two founding cultures, Māori and Pākehā. It was all kind of very feel-good and, and nice and inclusive and positive. And there's boys on the beach from around here somewhere, I think. Yeah, um from the coast. East coast somewhere, yeah. yeah. But I don't remember... Yeah, I think... We may It may be more critical, so it may be a little bit more like what's happened this time, but I don't think that we should shy away from the controversies and the different voices, right? I think that's all part of a healthy society. Um, but it would also be wonderful to think that we have really achieved something significant in positive terms in the next 20 years. We'll have a whole generation of adults who've been learning New Zealand history in schools. Yeah. <laughs> and... Um, and he's talked about, you know, the Māori lawyers and the judges, and the, you know, I think there's a lot of institutions where a lot of things are slowly changing, to bring in um, Kāpāpā Māori, Mataranga Māori, Māori people, Māori mm. values, um, and we'll hopefully see a lot more of that. In that time, I can't think why we shouldn't. But the other thing I think that's, re- I mean, it's not part of this conversation, which is kind of centred on Pākehā, but, you know, we are very multicultural, and I think the whole. Um, the relationship, it's not just a Māori-Pākehā relationship, is it? It's all of our, all of us in our relationship with Māori, um, all the non-Māori peoples of the country, and it would be really nice to see uh, that being really positively
2: celebrated by that by that point in time. You're right, Avril, the Treaty is important, and so 2040 will be. Um, one of the things that I want to get across too all of us as New Zealanders, is that we are still a monocultural country. Mm. We're not multicultural at all. We maybe have a multicultural society, but as a country, we're still monocultural. We're still based on Westminster law. So until that changes, we all as New Zealanders are under the same law But it's a a monocultural law. It's not based on any Māori value or Māori law or anything like that. And Māori law is always seen as L-O-R-E. Yeah. And yet there are some L-A-Ws in there. Yeah. And until we start adopting some of those into our system, um, and the fact that the Māori language is supposed to be... An official language of this country, which means we still teach English. So why can't we teach Māori language as a um, compulsory subject? And until we start doing that and changing that system and introducing Māori law (LAW) into our system, that's when we can start talking about being dual culture or mm-hmm. multicultural. Yeah, yeah. But until then, until that happens, we will remain a monocultural country.
0: Time now for audience questions in this edition of Awkward Conversations, recorded in Gisborne.
3: Karen Johansson speaking. Um, What do you think of the notion that Māori as always having been brilliant strategists are actually conducting a pincer movement by stealth in that... Moko is really sexy. Something like $50 billion uh, of our economy is Māori, Māori money. Um, music. No, it's not just teaching history in schools that we're looking at. We have resources with Kuya and Komatua out there in our, in our community about place-based learning with our wakahaurua, uh, for example. Um, perhaps what do you think of the notion maybe may of, of looking at it more broadly that Parents are first teachers of things Māori know. Um, and I think we are being overtaken, and maybe by 2040 we will be looking at something really positive. Now, we are 15% of the population, um, but we're going to have 100% in impact. What yeah. do you reckon, Annie?
2: I think you're right, Karen, and um, we do need to look at the broader um, aspect. Of our cultures and um, introducing those and teaching those. Um, but because we've for so long been under the one system, it's going to take time. And I think this is where we have to be patient, not rushing into things and working it out. And um, yeah, what you're saying is absolutely what needs to be done but let's take it easy. I think that sometimes we start to get a bit impatient as things happen, we see it happening and so we start rushing ahead. And I think we really have to slow down and um, work it work it through and plan it properly to, to get it through. Does that answer? I don't know what Avril's got to say oh. about it.
1: No, it just um, I just think that issue about the Māori economy, right, I think it's a really important one that we didn't really talk about, That you know, I think that's really important and really powerful for Māori, obviously, because, I mean, money gives you capacity to do things and make your own decisions and, and create, you know, things that you want. And um, I hate the way that it's like the non-Māori world can suddenly... St- start to take notice of Marty because oh they've got money oh you know I don't like it's sad that it's like that but that is part of what it is like at the moment for some people um, but whatever like maybe that's part of your stealth thing <laughs> that they might come at it for a strange reason but if it works to help build Māori capacity and bring Māori back into the centre of the society then you know that's that's a really good thing and I think that for all their limitations, the treaty settlements, um, that economic boost that they're providing uh, is is not to be you know, sneezed at, even if it's inadequate. Yeah.
4: Uh, Robin Bryant, Pākehā. Um, I would like to go back to that question of who's Pākehā. To me, uh, I've always identified that from the, my earliest years, and seemed to me it was a person who uh, went through the crucible of schoolyard and s- classroom and Māori and Pākehā s- mixed schools. There are fewer people, I think, now who identify as Pākehā. And I wonder if it's because we are more divided, uh, schools particularly. I can't think how many people in Queen Street or Lambton Key would identify as Pākehā. And then we have the problem of every form you fill in for the government has to be a European New Zealander or a Chinese New Zealander, but no Pākehā ever. I
1: imagine that's something for me to respond to. (laughs) I mean, I think I fully get what you're saying about, um, I think there's two kinds of people who identify as Pākehā. I think there is the kind that I was sort of talking about, my sort of story, which is It's kind of like a political awakening to some degree and a kind of intellectual kind of commitment, I suppose, as well as a political commitment. But the other is the people who just grow up in a Māori community and feel, you know, and just, I call that in the classroom or in the playground or whatever, and it's just completely natural term. And I don't think, I think they're both important origin points And ideally, hopefully, over time, there'll be more and more people whose stories may be a bit more like yours, because we are living more closely related to the Māori world. I don't know that if there is any evidence that there are fewer people identifying as Pākehā. I would be inclined to think it's the opposite, but I have to say, we don't have the research, you know, because... And uh, we don't have um, data on who likes or doesn't like the term. And and We certainly don't have longitudinal data that can tell us what's happened over time, um, and I mean I don't think many people. I'm one of them. I kind of cross out New Zealand European and write and, Um so we kind of try to get the message across and all those form filling exercises. But yeah, I, I think there is some cause for optimism about the kind of the the value of that term and the longevity of that term and the maybe growing interest in it.
2: I just want to comment in terms of um, where I live and where I come from that um, we've had um, we call them settler families that don't uh, consider themselves to be Pākehā they consider themselves to be European Um, and they are the families that have never intermarried Um, you know like As I said earlier, I was a glover. The glovers intermarried into Māori. Um, My mother's side with um, one of my great-grandmothers is part Irish and part Māori. She had an Irish father and a Māori mother. Um, But there are families um, living on the East Coast who have never intermarried and don't... In fact, if any of their um, children have wanted to marry into a Māori family, they've threatened them that they will be disinherited. And so, uh, and I can think of several that that's happened to. But at the same token, I know two who have intermarried and have been disowned by their families. Uh, and they do not consider themselves to be Pākehā, which is really sad. Mm-hmm.
5: Uh, kia Meredith Merida Thakura brown um, Listen, uh, Anne, you just talked to briefly in respect to a monocultural um, you know, world that we still continue to, to see permeate our world, our nation. Change. How, when will we see, uh, do you see that in your lifetime, a change? This comes off the back of the 2019 local elections. We should all be very stoked to hear that 20 mayors that were elected were women. So we celebrate that because that's a that's a move forward. But only one was Māori. So are we are we expecting change to come in the small kind of pockets of of you know we celebrate that woman uh, taking lead roles. But where do Māori women feature in, in governance or in leadership roles when we're still in this monocultured um, you know strong strong sense of that viewpoint? Um, so when does change uh, really get to be celebrated for Māori women or for Māori in in your
2: lifetime? Mm. Um, Yeah, that's hard. Um, I I did notice the the change for women, which is really amazing for this country. Um, And seeing women prime ministers, for instance, you know, that's happened. um, And I've been fortunate enough to have met Two of those women I haven't met the Jacinda yet um, But that's been wonderful for me as a woman But I take your point In terms of where do Māori women um, come Our Pākehā women are moving on And getting there and doing it um, And if I think back to um, women's suffrage and Kate Shepherd and I also want to say that in amongst that lot there was a lady called Hene Matarua I, but she's never been recognised as a, a suffragette um, so we need to start bringing those stories forward so that our Māori women have got those role models that's how I said and once again it won't happen overnight but if we start, bringing, bring yourself forward, Meredith, aye? As, a, as a role model, and so that our Māori woman can see that, and so it will start to happen. I'm a, um, a New Zealander. Uh, as of last year, became a New Zealand citizen. And last uh, Saturday night, was it, I actually um, cried because the All Blacks didn't win. <laughs> um, I came here in 1974, and it took me all of that time to learn about what it was like living in this place as, a, as an outsider. And I've been an educator here, I'm an artist here. Um, should I now call myself parking lot?
1: If you would like to, I think you should, and you can, <laughs> yeah, really, honestly. Um, it, I don't think you have to have been born here. Um, there's many, dif- you know, there's not one true way to be Pākehā. Um, or, or there's no sort of yeah, fundamental characteristic you have to have. Um, but the kind of thing that you've, you've expressed, which is a sense of commitment to being here and to this place, I think that is, um,
2: sounds like the heart of a Pākehā to me. Can I quote um, Dr. Paratena Ngata, who's, rest his soul, um, he wrote a paper before he died, which he sent to, um, Helen Clark was the Prime Minister at the time, and his view, and he, I will quote him, every person born in this country is tangata whenua, meaning that every person born. Born in this country is of this land. That was his view, and um, they've never published it, so that people don't discuss his paper. I'd like. I was saying to his sister just the other day, I wish they'd published it so that we can argue, um, even and because that's was what what he was wanting. Uh, but that was his view that if you were born in this country then you're tangata whenua.
0: i'd like to thank my guests associate professor avril bell and anne maguire for this edition of awkward conversations focusing on pakeha identity we've been talking at smash palace in gisborne at an event staged by the Taha trust for rnz i'm alex perrote